Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you coming into the Housing Hour. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And this show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Thank you, guys. You can go definitely to the Housing Hour, check out our show, our past shows. You can share this show with friends and family. We'd love for you to do that, to be able to um, really help them to understand all things about our community. And we definitely appreciate Mortgage Investors Group for being our sponsor, MIGonline.com. You can find all the information out about our sponsor there. Uh, we have offices from the Tri-Cities all the way to Memphis and everywhere in between. And uh, Mark, today, I'm so excited about this. And I've been, the last couple of days, I've been re- researching and trying to understand more about this famous um, author, Charles Dickens. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I was doing my research, the, the thing that kept coming up for me was really just an amazement and a fascination with how this one man was able to do so much and change really in a lot of ways, the perspective of so many, and it continues to do that even today, some, so many years um, into the future, Disney is making movies about it. And then you have this other movie that just came out at the end of November. So I think that his, his work that he accomplished back in, you know, the 1800s, I guess, you know, it's still to this day is resonating. It's amazing to it me. Just, it's crazy how one person could hit the pulse of yeah. the country for his time and to today. Absolutely. From 1843 to present, it's just insane. Yeah. Really. It is. It's amazing. So, so we wanted to talk about this and we wanted to bring in the experts. So we mm-hmm. thought, well, who are we going to get for, as an expert? Well, you found the perfect person. I'm going to introduce um, Dr. Anderson right now. Misty Anderson um, is our guest today. And Misty is a professor of English. Dr. Anderson is a professor, professor of English. Uh, a Lindsay Young professor in the College of Arts and Sciences and holds courtesy appointments as an adjunct professor in both the theater and religious studies department at the University of Tennessee. Uh, she is the author of Imagining Methodism in the 18th Century, Britain Enthusiasm, Belief, and the Border of Self, of the Self, and a whole bunch of other things. And I'm not going to read the whole entire biography. There's two pages. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. She's also, um, she blogs for, uh, which is maybe for some of those who are out there on the internet, you can look her up, the Huffington Post. Um, and I also noticed as well, which I thought this was interesting, she serves on the editorial boards for Restoration, which is a very well-known um, uh, group that I'm sure you're very proud of that. Thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> Thank you all mm-hmm. so much for having me. Very now, excited to be here. I'm stuttering a little bit because you're a professor of English, <laughs> and that's probably not my strong suit, but... You seem to be speaking it very well. He's really. mastered that. I, I think you're doing great. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> my, you know, my family loves literature and, you know, reading is one of the, our favorite things to do. There's so many authors that have written what, such wonderful books. And, you know, it's, it's really something that you look at and you ponder, you know, how is this person making such an impact? I go to the story Wonder, that was the movie that was just released. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had this kids series. It has, su- has caught my kids' imagination in such a way 
that is indescribable, you know, and, but it's all words. We went and saw the movie and they would have rather watched, read the book. And I think that's a good place to be, but I just curious from your perspective, um, what, why is the written word so, so important and why is it continue to be one of the most popular ways of consuming data, even to this day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, we can take this all the way back to the codex, right? Mm. In early books, it, uh, in an age of data, it's important to remember that um, written uh, texts and later print texts are all about how we can create communities, and I think mm. uh, Mark and I were talking a little bit earlier about the joy of sharing an idea with another person and seeing the light bulb go off mm. in their in their heads and how fundamentally human and exciting and community building that activity is. Mm. And uh, as we move into what uh, what's been called the Gutenberg galaxy, right? Mm. Once you actually have a printing press and can share the ideas globally, mm. um, we, we have this sense of communion, I think, uh, with people who uh, become our virtual friends. Mm. Now, I've often said that um, in a, this day and age, we have to explain to people that being an English major isn't a vow of poverty. Um, it's actually <laughs> a really portable skill set yeah. because you are learning to communicate in writing with the mm. written word, which no matter how visual the internet becomes, it's still gonna be textually based, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to write more than ever. Um, every time you read a novel or a play or even a poem, it's like taking an HR course. Mm. You're again, interacting virtually with this larger community. And as we get to know more people, fictional and real, um, we start to expand our sense of uh, uh, with whom we communicate, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what is our audience? And those are really great questions. Mm, yeah, that's very interesting. And as I as I listened to you speak on this YouTube video that I found, I can't remember exactly what it was. I was listening to you, and it was not, it was a pretty recent video. And you were there, and you were sharing um, some of the work that you had done. And you're probably wondering, well, what what, what video was this? And I'll, I'll find <laughs> I'll find it later. But as I was listening to you, you were speaking to your peers, is what it was. And um, some, I, I'll just be honest, some of the stuff that I was listening, I couldn't understand what you were even saying. I'll just be honest with you <laughs> uh-huh. because you were speaking in a way that they would understand it. So that's another thing apart about the English languages uh-huh. is, is that we can really change what we're saying to fit the needs and maybe the audience that we're talking to, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that's referred to as code switching, mm. right? You'll talk one way with a small group of friends you grew up with, mm-hmm. you know, as kids together. Yeah. And you'll talk another way in your family. And we're not just talking about, uh, you know, word choice. It's manner mm. and intimacy. And so when I'm talking to my colleagues who, like me, are word nerds and they spend time in musty libraries and looking <laughs> at manuscripts yeah. uh, and thinking about how all this fits together, um, I'll go into my professional language. But mm-hmm. it's a little bit like imagining a mechanic explaining to you um, what he or she did to the car, mm, um, as right. opposed to how that mechanic might talk to the auto manufacturer or the parts guy, right. Right, where it's going to be more technical. That's cool. <laughs> I know Mark is cringing because he wants us to get to the subject matter of what we're here for, but that's okay. We're, we're going to continue in this conversation for the entire time. And we're really, the reason we decided on this show was because this story, the Charles Dickens novel that he wrote, um, has touched so many generations 
Jones. And, you know, as I look back on this story and we, we touched on his um, love for writing and um, I read all about Charles Dickens. I didn't know any of the things until I started researching it. Um, but he's really an amazing individual, um, you know, all the way up into the time that he was in the train wreck and, you know, he had that whole epiphany and um, he used that work to continue his last parts of his um, professional career. Um, but we have only two minutes in this segment, but why don't you first share your thoughts on Charles Dickens? And I think that'll lead us nicely mm -hmm. into the next segment where we can pick up the story from there. Fantastic. Well, uh, Dickens, uh, as a writer, um, fascinates me most of all, because I think in some ways he was an accidental writer. Mm. What he really wanted to do was act on stage. Mm. Uh, and he he secured an interview or a, an audition at Covent Garden Theater, which was one of the most important theaters in 1832. This was really what he wanted to do. Uh, and he got horribly sick. Mm. He had the world's worst cold and missed the audition. Kind of like Eric today. <laughs> exactly. We can all relate to that. Uh, and so shortly after that, he started working for a newspaper um, and became arguably, you know, I mean, one of the most influential writers in English who has gotten into our culture and, and literally shaped the way we experience Christmas. So I think that um, his, the trajectory of his life is a, is a nice reminder that the thing you think you want to do may have something to do with your eventual career. Um, but it's important to remember that uh, it may not be the ultimate direction. Now, after Christmas Carol, he did get to act by mm. doing a Christmas Carol on stage as a one-man show. Yeah. Um, but of course, we know him as the great novelist, Nicholas Nickleby, Great Expectations. Um, the Christmas Carol is certainly the story that even if you're not a literary type, even if you're not a big reader, we know this story. There are only a handful of, of books and stories in the history of English that work like that. Robinson Crusoe by uh, Defoe is another one. People know that story even if they haven't read it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the moment where you realize you're making, mm -hmm. he's shaping culture. Oh man, that is so neat. And uh, the, the newest movie that's out, the man who invented Christmas, I think is what the name of it is. Have you yes. seen that yet? I have not. Okay. It's at, um, uh, where did we say it was? At, so, I don't, I don't it, it's at, it's, it's, it's here in Knoxville, West. downtown West. Yes, it is. It's at one forty today, which I mean, you're maybe listening to this podcast and I really want to go see it. I'm going to try to make that happen sometime in the next week. Um, we're here with Dr. Anderson, who is the professor of English and adjunct professor of theater and religious studies at the University of Tennessee. We're going to talk to her about the coaching search here in just a minute. No, I'm kidding. But we're going to continue our conversation about Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol right after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. Excited to have you in with us today. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And I'm also joined in studio with Dr. Anderson, professor of English and adjunct professor of theater and religious studies at the University of Tennessee. We're talking about the legacy of the Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, um, and we're excited to have her. And they also have, for those who are interested, at uh, the, what theater is it? The Clarence Brown Theater, I believe. Clarence Brown. Um, I know my kids 
and wife are going. I think I'm going with them. I'd like to go with them. But when is that coming up? It's coming up, right? So, yes. Yeah. Uh, the show is on right now, mm-hmm. and it'll run through December 17th. Okay. And uh, while uh, there, there are still plenty of tickets, especially during the week, mm-hmm. uh, and you can get those at um, ClarenceBrownTheater.com, or you can call the box office at 974 974- Five one six one. Awesome! That's Perfect. fantastic. It's, it, I know they're going to do a spectacular job. It's so amazing. Oh, I'm sure. Doctor Anderson, give us a little bit of an insight about what Christmas was like prior to Charles Dickens' novel in 1843. Absolutely, that's a great question because I don't think we would recognize it. Mm. Um, this, if we want to take it all the way back, mm-hmm. we have to go back to the um, to the strangely pagan roots of Mm. Christmas celebrations. And while the Christian church in the fifth century wanted to establish an annual celebration of the birth of Christ, what they had to build on were some pretty strange materials. Um, On the one hand, you've got the Roman tradition of Saturnalia and uh, Mm. and then the Northern European tradition of the Yule celebration. Both of these had to do with burning things Mm. (laughs) and uh, an interest in the, the light the way that the light diminishes in winter. Mm. Um, and so a certain amount of kind of celebration of the sun or wanting the sun to come back. Uh, the Saturnalia is absolutely wild. And uh, I'm not a classicist, but it was a, it was a pretty raucous celebration. Mm. There's a lot of gambling, a lot of singing. In both traditions, a lot of drinking. Um, Mark, it sounds like you're kind of festival. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little, yeah, pretty wild stuff, um, actually. The the Northern European tradition, of course, is where we get the Yule log Mm -hmm. um, and also the Christmas tree um, because uh, a lot of the celebration revolved around evergreens. And again, these are people who are in cold, dark northern climates <laughs> looking mm. for some sign of life. Right. So the traditions are connected to that, and they're, but they're incredibly festive. Mm. And then in the 5th century, when the early church um, was beginning, they needed to kind of graft the celebration onto something that was in there in the folk tradition. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Christmas tree becomes the Christmas tree. Mm. And the Yule log becomes, um, in part, thanks to Dickens, really, who kind of revived it, um, part of our sense of the way that Christmas moves into the home and becomes more explicitly Christian. Mm. Um, so while there are really old Christmas carols and things like that, most of the stuff that we recognize doesn't happen until after Christmas carol. Mm. And one of the things I... I I think I noticed from the Christmas Carol is that the first thing that happens to him when the first is his goes back to his past as a childhood was yes. Christmas really a child type of holiday before Dickens because it certainly yeah. was child afterwards. Yeah, no, that's such a great question. It doesn't really have much to do with children. Um, now the wild traditions that are about feasting and they are about the home in that sense, uh, mm. in, in, in a way, uh, especially, but primarily the country houses and the rich, the homes of the rich, uh, where there would be a celebration. You've got home, but not so much children. Mm. Um, even though this is, uh, you know, after the fifth century celebrated as the birth of Christ, um, it's more like, uh, 
Twelfth Night, <laughs> if you know that mm. Shakespeare play. Um, of course. So not <laughs> so much. Yes, debauchery. That's, that's the yeah. short version. Um, and in fact, there was a tradition to nominate a beggar as the Lord of Misrule for these festivals. <laughs> it was a lot of wow. sort of, um, I guess if you want to explain it like the Magnificat, you know, the mighty are brought low and the low are, mm. are elevated. But I beggars see. would go around. It would be a little bit more like trick-or-treating, honestly, hmm. than, um, than Christmas stuff. So the poor are in there and the poor are an important part of the Christmas tradition. I think that's something that Dickens consolidates. Um, but if you think about like after the Puritans and, uh, and this is true for early colonial America too, the Puritans outlaw Christmas wow. because these celebrations are drunken revels. They're, they're mm -hmm. too wild. And so they don't comport with the Puritan idea of, uh, of Christianity. So the 16... Yeah. 1600s. 1600s, 1700s. And really, if you were a colonist in New England in early America, Christmas was illegal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so that doesn't, that's a really surprising kind of thing for most of us because, uh, again, the traditions we know come from later. They're built on to this old, deep history that Dickens knew and helps to revive. And there is Christmas, but in the 18th century, for instance, it was really for church going people. Businesses would remain open. It wasn't especially a big feast day. And it wasn't even the most important part of the church calendar. Mm. People would write much more about their experiences with uh, Lent and Easter. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Johnson, Samuel Johnson, the man who wrote the first dictionary would catalog in detail his experiences of Easter services, but he kind of barely mentions Christmas. He goes to church though, mm -hmm. right? So that's what you would do, but not so much the other um, feasting because of the Puritan influence. Wow. That's really amazing to me because you think of our current day Christmas and you know, how there is so much festive, but there also is, that does comport with today's society. Of course, the, the celebration, the dinner, the, you know, absolutely mm -hmm. people getting involved with charitable things, you know, getting that's involved. All Dickens. With, yeah, that's what I'm sort of realizing as I've done the research and then as I'm listening to the doctor mm -hmm. talk about it. Um, I think it's amazing how um, we're able to to really trace it back to that novel as being one of the the turning points for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And one of the things is Santa Claus wasn't, is a modern type of creation, isn't it? I mean, so in the, in the book of Christmas Carol, that's not really spoken to. Parent advisory, parent advisory. <laughs> We're speaking of Santa. That's right. Okay. If there are any children listening, turn yeah. off the radio. Um, so the complicated case of Santa Claus and Father Christmas and Klaus is, there are a few different folk traditions that go into that. But Father Christmas, um, that's right. You know, who is Henry the Eighth was? Figure. I mean, during that six to seventeen or fifteen hundreds or so, that was a big part of their traditions, weren't it? Wasn't it? Yes, it's it's out there, but not in the Santa Claus um, story that we know. Where again, some of those ancient traditions that have to do with beggars coming to rich people's houses and asking for things, sometimes aggressively, mm. um, and become through Dickens an interest in the poor. Mm. and in charity, right? So mm -hmm. we have the ancients in our traditions, but they have been, it just was fundamentally reorganized by Dickens. So so she's, you're saying that when the guys come and ask uh, Ebenezer for money, he says, you know, 
so yeah. so be it decrease the surplus population of the earth. So this was the aggressive <laughs> what you're speaking to. Exactly. So that bah humbug. But um, I don't remember those individuals as being beggars. They were part, no, they, they were they were like leadership or some sort of leadership. Right. But, but then you have there was two a transition that he did. Right. Because there's two I guess type of um, people asking two types of people asking for money. You had the person who was in poverty that didn't have anything that had feet had mouths to feed, and then you had other people who were maybe trying to take it not. Not in a negative way, but take advantage of the season to prop up or bring some sort of, you know, money into their organization, I guess. Yeah. And that's where you see the Victorian influence of mm. the societies for the Reformation of Manners, which go back to the 18th century and a lot of public works projects. Mm -hmm. And this is something that was close to Dickens' heart. He was very interested in public sanitation efforts and in mm -hmm. efforts to reform the life of the poor. Mm -hmm. And this came from a really personal place for him. Mm -hmm. When he was uh, still in school, his father was thrown in debtor's prison. Mm -hmm. And it changed yeah. everything for him. And I think he realized how, how <laughs> the, what we might think of as the middle class or the lower middle class were just a few inches from not being able to make it. And I think that's where we get the story of the Cratchits, right? That's mm -hmm. who they are. Mm -hmm. Bob Cratchit is, is right there. He's working, but he's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and so Dickens knew that from his own life experience, that event, plus I think a visit that he made to the tin mines and he was doing some, he was doing some kind of what we would call political reporting, reporting on social mm -hmm. issues. And there, that's, uh, he reflects in that a it lot just, of Victorian. It took a long time for that tweet to get to, because <laughs> I mean, he couldn't just tweet it out from there. Exactly. Actually, they had to set the type. Yeah. Um, so he went to visit um, tin mines mm -hmm. and was horrified by mm. how poor people were and how poor the education was for children. Mm -hmm. And it was right after that that he came back and wrote Christmas Carol. Wow. Nice. Well, we are going to continue this conversation. That's amazing stuff. Um, we are definitely thankful for Dr. Anderson coming in. And I, I tell you, um, you know, Mark, we, we have all of this that we're unpacking. And I think there's a lot of people that are very interested in it. And I would recommend that if they haven't seen the Christmas story, the Disney version, or any of the plays like the one that's being performed um, at the University of Tennessee, Clarence Brown Theater up until the 15th of December, until the 17th, 17th of December, I would recommend that you go check it out because, um, and I'm going to watch the movie that just came out as well. And it's sort of a uh, take on on his life but it's just really amazing to me and we're going to continue talking with her and Mark right after these messages The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it again, Kevin Ray Welcome back into the Housing Hour this is Kevin Ray I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. This show is provided by Mortgage Investors Group, MIGonline.com. And we are um, having in studio with us Dr. Anderson from the University of Tennessee, professor of English. We are so grateful that she has uh, come into the studio to talk a little bit about this novel that was written in 1843 by the Charles Dickens, the famous author um, and it's really an extraordinary tale, not just the actual novel that was written, but his life and his story um, in itself is, is pretty 
transformational for me. Um, and then his continued um, relevance in our society really speaks volumes to the talent that he had. And she also, Dr. Anderson shared a story that he wanted to be an actor. And if it had not been for a cold, we may have never had the Christmas Carol. You just never That's know. True. And, you know, so this, thank goodness for colds. Um, so we have continued to talk about it and we were just, she was mentioning, um, on the back end of that last segment about his time and his experience, um, lo- really looking at child labor and, and seeing that, that kids, because you had debtors prison, um, you had people that were in poverty and they were having to pay back these debts and kids. I mean, when he was 12, he had to work, uh, while his family was in debtors prison. And it's an awful thing to even think about. I mean, I think about my 12 year old, I can't even get her to clean up her room, <laughs> let alone to, I mean, could you imagine? Um, but anyway, um, 1843, on the strength of what he's experienced, he sets out to write this incredible novel. We want to pick it up from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things he had just been looking at was the um, the condition of children in these tin mines, mm. both as workers and then as participants in what was known as the ragged schools, mm-hmm. schools for the poor. And he was a very socially minded person. I mean, he wanted to see these different reforms. And I think he was hoping that the ragged school would be a little bit better and the whole Mm. thing just left him with a sense of the injustice of the arrangement. Um, And, you know, we can, we can go back in Dickens work and see that Oliver twist, right? When we want to talk about child Mm. labor or, you know, unfair practices, we go back to, you know, Oliver and Fagin and then that shapes, that shapes 20th century stories like, uh, you know, Little Orphan Annie, um, uh, which I think, you know, reflects post-depression on some circumstances that are parallel. Um, so it's a, it's the industrial revolution taking off, um, which really starts earlier than we, than we think it really starts in the late 18th century. Mm. And, uh, you're talking about the child labor, uh, you know, the condition of, of children who, who did have to labor, who were poor. Uh, and we have, we have too many examples to name. Um, our notion of childhood, in fact, um, depends on sort of post-Christmas Carol notions of protecting children. Mm. It's not just that story. It's also a lot of Victorian reform movements that realize that those debtors' prisons and the workhouses and the things that Dickens was writing about um, were not leading to positive social change. And uh, they, they seem to be in, unjust and, and oppressive. I also um, wanted to mention, too, this is sort of a, a side note, but... I was reading and I, I was reading something by David Cody, the associate associate professor of English at Hartwick College. Mm-hmm. And um, he has this blog, I guess it, it's a Victorian web is what it's called. Yes. If you're familiar with uh-huh. it. And he was talking about how in 1840, 20% of children had schooling. And then post this novel written and so forth in 1860, that number goes up to 50%, which mm-hmm. is sort of amazing that you wonder if it was not maybe a con- contribution from Dickens in what he did. I think that, you know, Dickens is the kind of writer who shifted the needle, mm-hmm. right? He didn't so much do uh, public activism, mm-hmm. um, but the way that he wrote 
about these problems, I think, changed hearts. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really did. Some of that motion had been a slow build in literacy since the 18th and really the 17th century, which is where we get the term Sunday school. Mm -hmm. You know, the original Mm -hmm. Sunday schools were schools for the working poor and their children who also worked all week. And so the... um, the impetus behind the Sunday schools from the Puritans was that they really wanted people to read their own Bibles. Mm -hmm. And in order for them to read their Bibles, they had to learn how to read. Mm -hmm. So the mission was as much the school part as the Sunday part. You know, it's interesting too. And I want you to talk about this. When you look at Dickens life, he was not a religious, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call him a religious man. He, he certainly had some principles and he had, but he also had a little disdain for the religious, like yes. the, the people who, you know, this traditionalist or this, that you had to march by these orders. He was very much his own man. Absolutely. And I think that that's where the sort of the, the specifically Christian traditions around, uh, around Christmas that we're talking about being formed here intersect with something that's not necessarily religious. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, that is about though you know sort of celebrating charity and mm-hmm. wanting to um, wanting to see more good in the world mm-hmm. and our own Christmas you know in in the present moment is is both of those things at once mm-hmm. you know it's it is not just for for the pious or the people who go to church mm-hmm. and so yeah Dickens I w- I would say is um, not. Uh, an especially religious person, um, but he did he did draw on a lot of Victorian culture that was influenced mm-hmm. um, by those who were maybe more religious than he was. But not only the children that he he, he kind of centered around, but uh, the exploitation of just impoverished people. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there was a big. That, I mean, that's a big social impact that he addressed. Absolutely. Yeah. And and to bring this back to the issue of housing and homes, mm. right? The centrality of a stable home and your ability to be safe in your home, you know, to mm. have, <laughs> to be able to light the fire, right? Mm. Um, and to have enough space for your children. These were things that for him weren't just literary figures and a lot of the, the figurations of poverty and in uh, Great Expectations or Nicholas Nickleby, you think, oh, this must be a metaphor, you know, mm. or this is a kind of exaggeration. And probably wasn't. Mm. Right? You just had a lot of people who didn't, literally didn't have a roof over their heads. Well, I, I, as I watch and as I, re- as I read and I look at the picture that he's painting in this town, I, you know, I think about what our kids today experience and the enormous blessings that are just pouring into them. And then you, you contrast that with what was experienced in that era, you know, and Mm -hmm. it it really paints a picture to make kids today. So grateful they should be at least it, it, it it reimagines for them what it means to to have gratitude, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's so different. It's so compelling that they didn't have a roof over their heads. A lot of them. And then you have tiny Tim who he, portrays this family and what, what they experienced. Yeah. So yeah. And I the great God bless us everyone. Right. 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 Um, that, it, that, that the poor wind up modeling the kind of gratitude that mm. the rich ought to have. And, and that's part of the Ebenezer Scrooge journey mm-hmm. too. I'm so sorry that Jed Diamond couldn't be here with us, but he's got to make that transformation sometimes twice a day. Wow. And it's a big emotional journey. Sure it is. From the, one, of, one of the things I noticed in, in the story, I always kind of keyed on, it was the nephew because he seems like oh, a yeah. transitional figure to me because he's like in ah, between, yeah. between the, the impoverished and the, the haves and yet he has, but he seems to be the connection point between the two. Ebenezer and and the poor. 
Absolutely. You're so smart, that's, Mark. That, no, that's tell you great, what. Mark. That's absolutely great. And and he is a transitional figure. And again, for Dickens, he's thinking about like how is class structured here, mm-hmm. and who's vulnerable, and who's in the middle, and what do what kinds of personal responsibilities should people take for the the way things are, even if they didn't create those conditions? How do mm-hmm. you respond to them? And I think those are key questions for him. And I, you know, you look at the nephew, and you see almost this disdain for. Ebenezer Scrooge, but at the same time, he like wants to help him, right? He, he loves him because he's almost unlovable in a lot of ways, but it, it, that is amazing because it's almost unconditional. Love. It's unconditional it's love. Like a Christ-like love. Cause he wants him there that yes. Christmas night because he's family. And just because Ebenezer Scrooge, and he models a lot of the things that even today people still experience the Ebenezer Scrooge mentality, but they're still human beings and they're yeah. still in using the religious terms. They're still Christ you know, loved, but that's amazing. Absolutely, Yeah. It's not, you know, it's, it's Christian love. It's long suffering. And, you know, one of the guilty pleasures in our house is um, the, you know, we all have movies we watch every year. They're our favorites. And one Mm. of our favorites is the Bill Murray version of (laughs) one of my favorites where the nephew becomes the brother. Right. right. Um, But we've also got Mr. Fezziwig, Mm. right? Um, The shop, the shop owner, right? Who, um, who brings his financial success out to his employees Mm. and who is feasting and joyful. And that sort of vision of that vision of what a good merchant um, would do for the people who worked for him. I forgot about that. That one. I, I didn't forget about it, but I need to watch that again. That is such a great movie. I love it. Well, and, and, you know, in that classic um, Scrooge manner, you know, you, you also look at the beggars that he experienced. And um, then you look at him past when he actually has this epiphany and this awakening, I guess, and his heart, how it changed, you know, and, and you even look at the, the, the movie, The Grinch, and, yes. and, and you yes. think about that, <clears throat> that change that occurred in just really it was an experience and a change that's, that's not fathomable for most people. Because it Mm -hmm. takes such a divine intervention for it to occur. Yeah, and that I think is where the Christian possibility of transformation is there for Dickens, even if he wasn't particularly interested in that religious. He nailed it. He nailed it. He he nailed it. We have one last segment with Dr. Anderson. We'll be right back after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. You can find our show at thehousinghour.com, the treasure trove of all information. It's the mothership of material that we have compiled for you since 2011. And we are uh, setting a very great show into the mothership today. We have Dr. Anderson with us, professor of English and adjunct professor of theater and religious studies. Um, She comes to us from the University of Tennessee. She has been kind enough to spend this time with us, helping us understand more about uh, the Victorian era uh, author, um, Charles Dickens, an amazing, amazing, accomplished author, and also um, wrote other things like Oliver Twist, um, amongst many other uh, things that he's written, and has actually traveled to the United States a couple of times and did readings all throughout um, in New York, I think Boston primarily. Um, you know, amazing. He made 19 
thousand, I thought, I think it, it wouldn't be euros. I'm not sure what it was, but, um, <laughs> it but that euros. was quite a bit. I mean, it was a lot of money back then. Um, and so Mark, how do you want to wrap up the show? Well, you know, one of the things are, are the takeaways, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the legendary things that he created, the traditions that weren't in place at the time he wrote it to, mm-hmm. that are kind of in place now. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, what mm-hmm. some of those things that come to mind to you as a literary historian? Sure, sure. Well, of course, you know, a- after his transformation, um, uh, Ebenezer, um, you know, has has uh, the boy go fetch him the, you know, the the, the big goose, yes. and uh, and and we tend to do turkey now. Right. Um. Uh, but I think that the uh, the notion of the big meal around Christmas, again, while it's got a root back in those ancient traditions, becomes the Christmas we recognize mm. through Victorian culture and through Dickens. A sort of, um, you know, close and cozy family mm-hmm. uh, family meal. The Yule Dog, which again goes way, way back, uh, is something that Dickens helps to revive. Mm-hmm. And so that notion of the fire and the importance of the coal fire um, in Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that fundamental um, social set of issues it touches on too. Are you warm enough? Are you so cold because you're poor and you're going to get sick? And that focus too on the vulnerable poor on Christmas as a time for uh, for charity, um, especially through that image of Tiny Tim, mm. right, the vulnerable child um, who maps onto the vulnerability of Christ in a way, mm. um, but also encourages a, a change in behavior to the people around you, mm-hmm. right, um, that you need to go and take care of those Tiny Tims mm. wherever they are. And also a reflection for Scrooge as he goes through this experience, mm-hmm. it's a time in for all of us during this, this season to reflect on our own lives and, and be able to look in the past and, and, you know, knowing our history and understanding it helps us to, to really write the future in a way that's meaningful. But, mm-hmm. but I reflect when I watch that movie and I also go through the season, I reflect on, Hey, how did the year go? You know, what, yeah. what happened good? What, what did I do? That was, yeah. that was something that I wanted to do, but what are, where are some areas that I could improve upon? Mm-hmm. Because Scrooge and, you know, he gets, he gets to that point where he has the um, ghost of Christmas future and he's yes. being buried and he has nobody there mm-hmm. at his funeral, you mm-hmm. know? So I think there's also that part of it. Absolutely. And the ghosts of past, present, and future are a model for that kind of end-of-year reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what have I done what, and what are the traditions on the positive side mm-hmm. in the present? What am I doing right now and, and what am I doing for the people around me? And then, yeah. you know, some notion of turning your own life into a story. He's like a yeah. psychologist, like a, a, a amazing, really, because people still do what he's doing. I mean, and he, he didn't, I don't know if he intended to have this type of impact. Did, do you think he ever thought that this novel he wrote was going to have this big of an impact? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Now, it did very quickly. And yeah, though right. he immediately authorized like gift versions and it was being printed with mm-hmm. beautiful bindings. Um, and that first edition did have illustrations, which from a print point of view is a pretty lavish thing to do. So Mm. maybe he hoped, but I don't think anyone could have anticipated what a big impact and what a lasting impact it would have. Now he did love doing his one man show version of it almost as soon as it hit. And that's a lot of what brought him to America and what spread this particular Dickensian model uh, of Christmas to America mm-hmm. so early on. And he also, 
he didn't just stop there because he tried other stories and wrote other stories. Cricket on the Hearth, is that mm-hmm. was that one? Mm-hmm. And then there was, I think, a, two more that he wrote. I don't think Bill Murray made a movie about that one. <laughs> I don't know. Dude, he did not. <laughs> but uh, what, what about those? Did he try to duplicate his success on that? He, or? Did, he did write a short piece called The Christmas Tree. You know, and mm-hmm. so I think, um, and certainly in performance, he knew he had a good thing and he he wanted to keep that going. Mm. Um, but he does, of course, you know, go back to um, to the novel and to mm-hmm. the long novel. Christmas Carol, technically a, what we call a novella. It's right. short. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anybody wants to take part in reading it aloud, the English majors at UT are going to have a, a sit-in reading this Friday night oh. at the Golden Roast from 7 to 9. And you can just show up and pick up a part. And they're, they're all just going to read it out loud together. Mark, you, know? you would love that. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Well, contrasting him to other authors of his time. I guess Shakespeare is a Victorian era author. Shakespeare's a good bit earlier. Oh, he's yeah. a little early. Yeah. Well, but you know, let's About face it. Years. He had how many that he wrote? I mean, it's a lot more well, that became here's, famous. Here's a connection too. Um, Dickens and his father both loved theater. And so Dickens went to the theater a lot as a little boy. And Shakespeare, even though he writes, um, you know, just at the end of the uh, of the 16th and beginning of the 17th centuries is still on stage. Mm. So Dickens, we know, saw Richard III. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're connected. Right. Um, and he wanted though, to act. So he probably, he, exactly. Uh, I'm sure there's a connection there as well. He loved it. I think it's neat, too, because we think of uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson as being sort of an American novelist and um, or, or lecturer, poet, whatever you want to call him. And he actually goes with Dickens during his tours. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know if you knew that, Mark. I didn't know that. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, we, you know, as Americans, we, we want to have a connection to everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh-huh. so there is that connection. Well, and we did. You know, there are a lot of other British-American um, public culture things like that. Uh, the um, uh, Oscar Wilde, for instance, mm. um, did uh, did an early tour in America um, kind of promoting uh, uh, the comic operas um, that were coming up at the time. Um, so Brits would come over and yeah. do tours. Mm. Yeah. You, know? you know, this is the same period of time. We had a guest on uh, that wrote a book about Sarah Hale. Joseph mm-hmm. Hill, who was the mother of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, in 1830s, she was actively an editoress. She's she, amazing. That she Her story amazing. is amazing. Do you know her story uh, pretty well? I only know a little bit about it. It's amazing. But I will say that there are a lot more women in publishing early on in the 18th century than you would and that's, think. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. pre- but, you know, she was like in the social. Uh, she was the Oprah of the she 18th was. century uh-huh. or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But so that must have been changing at that time. Mm. And there must have been a very big social, um, you know, just a, a social reformation that was occurring within mm-hmm. within people's understanding of quality of life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, and women coming into the writer marketplace in, in different kinds of ways. Um, the, those things are all true. And the way that um, the Industrial Revolution was creating, but also consolidating wealth, I think it's all over here. And Dickens wanted to keep his eye on both things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he wasn't actually a fan of the radical movements in his day, mm. um, but he was worried about the way that a wealth gap um, yeah. was was Huge shaping gap. was shaping uh, life in Britain and in America. Mm. 
But, you know, one sort of a happier thought since we're uh, winding up here is, mm-hmm. you know, coming back to the carol part of a mm-hmm. Christmas carol, mm-hmm. um, I think that this is another thing we should credit Dickens with. Um, while they are our Christmas carols, Um, before A Christmas Carol. There are old songs that come out of the church, like St. Francis of Assisi, Mm -hmm. and then later on, you know, Charles Wesley's wonderful Hark the Herald Angels Sing. What about Jingle Bells? Um, Jingle (laughs) Bells is after Dickens. (laughs) Jingle Bells is after Dickens. But really, before Dickens, most of the songs that we identify as Christmas carols don't exist yet. It's really just uh, Hark the Herald Angels, Joy to the World, those Mm -hmm. are out there. Um, Isaac Watts wrote that one. And they were sung to different tunes, Mm. not to the peppy tunes that we sing them to. Mm -hmm. And then think about this, right after A Christmas Carol, where again, yes, he's taking an old tradition, but he's reviving it. You know, it's one most people have lost. Right after it, you get um, We Three Kings of Orient Are. Mm. That's not until after Dickens. Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem Mm -hmm. isn't until after. Uh, And then, of course, Jingle Bells. Um, (laughs) But Jingle Bells is right around the same time. Wow, really? I wonder that, yeah, it was both the Christmas and the folk tradition kind of coming together. That's a good way to end because, Mark, you want to give us Alvin and the Chipmunks? No, I'm not going to do that Alvin and the Chipmunks, I don't know if you know this, but he and Charles Dickens actually spoke. (laughs) Well, hey, thank you so much, Dr. Anderson, for coming in and spending this time with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a delight. Absolutely. And guys, thank you for joining us and come back to us next week. Go to thehousinghour.com, share this with friends and family, and we'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also, check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.